This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. temporary admission. In today's episode, we're going to be chatting with a very special guest indeed. Named as one of the most influential women in New York by Gotham Magazine and currently Global Managing Director and Strategic Partnerships and Lead Benefit Auctioneer at Christie's, as you probably guessed it, today we're going to be chatting with Lydia Fennett. Now, Lydia, as we'll probably touch on, I'm sure, it's quite a busy time of year for you. So first and foremost, thank you very much for taking the time to come onto our podcast today. I'm so excited to be on it. Fantastic. Now, you're known by many for being the most powerful woman in the room, but before we dive right into things, could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. So as you said, my name is Lydia Finette. I have a couple of different roles in life right now. I run a team for Christie's Auction House called Strategic Partnerships that I started for the company roughly 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, that deals with large-scale partnerships globally. I think most auction houses, anyone who's worked there for a long time would also say that you can never really have just one job. So the second part of my job is that I run the charity auctioneering program for the company. I'm in the lead charity auctioneer as well, which means I get on stages all over the world to raise money for nonprofits. In my exterior life from Christie's, I also am an author and I wrote The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You and am just finished writing my second book, which is called Claim Your Confidence, Unlock Your Superpower and Live the Life You Deserve. So lots of things going on in the work front. And then I'm a mom of three children who are seven, nine and almost five. So busy at home and busy at work and trying to get it all done virtually and also in the middle of a global pandemic. So a couple of things going on. I'm surprised you're not absolutely exhausted. You've obviously got a lot going on, like you say, but something that I'd love to know a little bit more about is what it's like being a top auctioneer at Christie's. It's amazing. You know, I started working at Christie's when I was 21 years old. And at the time, and this was, again, 20 years ago, there really were no female auctioneers. So it was really fun to try out to be an auctioneer when I was 24 become an auctioneer in in the sense that I passed the class after four days of eliminations, which I often say is a little bit like getting voted off the island on Survivor. But, you know, being given the mantle of a Christie's auctioneer is such an incredible responsibility. And the area that I've focused on since day one is really the nonprofit space. And it's an amazing honor and, and such an incredible sort of moment to be able to walk out on stage and say that you work for the world's leading auction business and represent the company, but then also raise money to help people using that title because people do respect people who've trained at Christie's and they do think of auctioneers and auctioneering as such a a sort of impactful career. And so to be able to use that in a way that helps other people is really one of the greatest skills that I've acquired over the course of my life. And frankly, there's nothing I love doing more. 
Yeah, I think that's when you know you're in the right place, when you've really genuinely found that you love what you do. But am I allowed to ask exactly how much it is that you've helped raise for charity so far? Yeah, they calculated it a couple of years ago, and I've raised over a half a billion dollars for nonprofits, which really is amazing if you think so many of them aren't really that lucrative. Um, you know, there's sort of a lot that are 100,000. There are a couple that are in the $20 million range, but really a couple, not a lot. So it's just been sheer number of auctions that have gotten to me to that number. And it's because there is so much need. And, you know, it's such a, as I said, it's just such a gift to have a talent where I can stand on stage and encourage people who have the money to give more than they thought they were going to when they walked in the door. And I really attribute that to, you know, being trained at Christie's and having had the ability to watch top auctioneers since the age of 21 performing this craft, which is essentially just sales on the highest level, which is really, it's just so fun. Wow. Half a billion dollars is absolutely incredible. Congratulations. I also think I read somewhere recently that you led auctions for, is it more than 600 organisations across the world? I'd love to know whether out of those, whether there's maybe one that you were particularly proud of or that stood out or, or, you know, even whether there was a real pinch me moment that you, you really stood there thinking, I really can't believe this is happening. Well, there are memorable ones for different reasons. You know, I think the most memorable one I will always come back to is an auction that I took for the Bob Woodruff Foundation, which helps wounded warriors returning from war. And it's on stage at Madison Square Garden, which is a place that seats 6,000 people. And I remember when they called, and you know, I take auctions of 500 people, 1,000 people pretty much every single week during peak auction seasons, but 6,000 people at Madison Square Garden, or even to just say that I was going on stage at Madison Square Garden was an unbelievable experience. But then I was doing it sandwiched in between Jerry Seinfeld and Ray Romano and Seth Meyers. And and the person following me and on stage with me was Bruce Springsteen. And I think at any point in your career where you feel like you're at the top of your game, it's easy to feel confident walking on stage. But even and every auction stage that I've taken in my entire life, I've never had a lineup like that. So I was in the, I was sort of waiting in the wings next to these people. And I remember Bruce Springsteen standing on my right, sort of shoulder to shoulder because I was going on before he was. And just really having to think to myself, okay, this is the moment to bring your A game. This is the moment you have literally been working for your whole life because you get on stage next to these people, you have to be able to hold your own in the same way. And so ever since that first auction, I think I've had this confidence getting on stage where I think to myself, look, I've been on stage with the biggest comedians in the world and the biggest sort of musical act in the world, and I raised the money they needed and more. So that is, that is to me, you know, I'm at the top of my game at this. I enjoy it. It raises money for a, an incredible cause. So that to me was memorable on every single level. Um, but I also have so many smaller auctions that I've taken that are nowhere near that, where I've come back year over year and seen the impact that the money that we've raised has had on communities or people. And I take an auction for an organization called Cookies for Kids Cancer that deals with pediatric cancer. And it was started by a woman named Gretchen Witt who lost her six-year-old son to cancer. And every year that I go back, you know, when they tell the story of the money that we've raised in previous years, being able to fund a trial that ultimately saved a child. I mean, that's, there's just nothing like that. There really is nothing, especially as someone who has children who are all around that age and have gone through the age of six. And it's, it's moments like that, that really 
for me, stay with me and, and stay in my heart more than anything. Yeah, I, I bet. And, and I think that's really quite amazing to be part of something like that. But looking at things from the other side and, and, and not being behind the podium, I guess, as an auctioneer, have you ever you know really wanted to or, or even been able to bid on some of these lots yourself? Well, there's an auction that I take every year in Florida for a gentleman who is raising money for Camilla's House, which is a homeless organization in Miami, Florida. And he's the ex-CEO of Carnival Cruise Line. So they have these incredible lots every year. And because I always see the lots beforehand, I have the opportunity, if I ever want to bid on something, to do that. And there was one year that they had a boat that you could split between many people. And so I called a number of friends and sort of said, you know, would you all want to go in on this together? <laughs> because none of us could afford it by ourselves. You know, all of my friends said, yes, yes, yes. And so I got to the, the night of the auction and I stood on stage and I'd said to them, you know, I'm going to take a paddle number and I will bid on behalf of myself as a sort of absentee bidder if nobody else bids. And so the bidding started and, you know, it kept going, it kept going, it kept going. And I remember it got within a thousand dollars of where we were. And I just... I didn't feel comfortable spending other people's money. And so I, I didn't do the last bid. And I remember calling all of our friends afterwards to say, you know, unfortunately we didn't, you know, we didn't get the boat and they said, well, how much did it go for? And I told them, and they were all sort of like, you didn't just bid the extra bid. And I said, well, I didn't, I didn't want to have to call you guys and ask you guys for more money. If I kept, if I got caught up in the moment, I'm an auctioneer. I know what this looks like. I could have come back to you and said that I'd ended up paying 10 times what you wanted and nobody would have been happy. But I always go back to that and they're, they're sort of complete and utter dismay on the fact that I didn't keep going with the bidding. So that's one thing I regret, but for the most part, you know, it's funding the auctioneer too, because there have been times that I've been on houses and, and it's vacation houses and things like that that have been really fun and, and we've gone on trips as a result of my auctioneering and being in a, in a setting where I realize something's going low and that I can not only buy a trip but also raise money for charity at the same time so that's a good feeling mm, definitely and I think one thing I mean we're changing tack slightly here but one thing that does really interest me is that you've had such a rise to success in the art world and I think we touched on it slightly earlier, but you're now often referred to as the most powerful woman in the room. What do you think that it was exactly that, you know, really led you to get to where you are today? I think so much about success has to do with having a growth mindset. I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I'd started a department called Strategic Partnerships. And, you know, I'd worked at Christie's for 10 years before I started the department. And for me, it was really a white space that I saw within a company that had been around, you know, since 1766. It wasn't as if I was working for a company that was started two years ago. It's a company that's been around. It has a long heritage. There are things that are done the way that they've been done for a long time because they've been done for a long time. And because I had 10 years within the company and because I do think that I bring people along with my vision, that's very much a, a way that I try to lead. It's not by telling people what to do, but it's it's by showing them how to do it and then letting them take from that what they will and move that forward in their own desires and spaces. And so when I saw this, this ability to start a partnerships department that would match up globally with what was happening at Christie's, which was at the time, all of the art departments were starting to globalize. I thought this could be something that the company could do and we could make money doing it. And I think bringing that growth mindset to every single part of what I do is part of the reason that I've been successful in the art world, because the art world is always evolving. You know, when I started at Christie's in 1999, the contemporary department was a $7 million evening sale. Now we're transacting billions of dollars of contemporary art every year. So 
if you stay in a mindset that things are only going to be the same and that's what it is and you have to follow that mindset, you're going to stay where you are until everything is done and then they close the book and the chapter is over, right? So with a growth mindset, you're constantly looking at where things are going and you're following that thread. And so I often say strategic partnerships doesn't look anything like it did 10 years ago when I started it because it's an entrepreneurial department. We change and we evolve as the art market evolves. So much of our revenue in past years was from bricks and mortar events or marketing events and specific things that had very much to do with things that were tangible, in-person events, you know, as I said before, things that were taking place at any given time in a specific location. And when the world went virtual, we had to completely shift and become digital. And now as we move from what we've been doing all of those years into digital, the art market is now changed into NFTs. So a lot of our partnerships now are dealing with NFTs in the metaverse. And so that's an area that we're going to have to continue to explore and evolve in in order to, to keep up with the changing art world. Yeah, it certainly feels that so much is changing right now within the art world. I mean, everyone that like you say is absolutely fascinated by NFTs and their potential. I mean, I'm definitely still trying to figure out uh, or make sure I've got figured out NFTs and I've definitely got a long way to go, but you've obviously built such a reputation within the art industry, but did you always know that you wanted to work within the art world or was that something that kind of came later down the line for you? Honestly, I had never heard anything about the auction world until I read an article in Vanity Fair about a charity auction at Christie's, this place I'd never heard of. Um, And it was really, it was talking about the auction of Princess Diana's dresses. And that for me really captured my imagination, this art business, this idea of art as something that could be transacted, not just something that sat on the wall of a museum. And I don't think I ever thought I would work at Christie's for 20 plus years, but you know, when I first arrived, I just was completely caught up in the magic of it. And I still am very much enamored with the auction world. I love the entire idea of this sort of high stakes race where people are putting together sales of art that happen twice a year and that clients are traveling around the world, or in this case, watching these virtually around the world and bidding against one another on a single piece of art that's come from a home that no one's seen in 50 years. You know, there are just so many incredible stories behind the art that comes to market, whether that be, you know, David Rockefeller in a collection of that size that's all given to charity or one single piece that's been in a family forever or pieces that have been restituted from, you know, homes that were seized under the Nazi regime. There are just so many stories within within the auction world. And then not only the stories of the actual pieces of art, but then how the specialists procured that art is the other fun part. You know, there's the greatest auction story, I think, still of all time about how a Christie specialist and a Sotheby's specialist literally did rock, scissors, paper over a single piece of art because that's how a gentleman had won his, he decided to go with his business. And so he put it to them. He said, if you want this piece of art, you do rock, scissors, paper. And the Christie specialist went home to his twins and his twins said, well, you do paper. Everybody knows that because everybody always throws down rock. And sure enough, he did paper and we won. So they're just all these like auction lore stories that I think are so woven into the fabric of the auction world that um, it's just it's it's a sort of mystical mystery of a, of a place. But it is so fun to work there. It sounds it. And do you think it's that ability to storytell that's helped you to get to where you are today? I mean, even the way you just described the story then, it, it's... Um interesting to listen to I think just your ability to recall different moments and, and, and tell stories just even in, in everyday conversation I mean 
as an auctioneer, especially someone who's standing up in front of a room, especially as a charity auctioneer, I mean, it's all about the storytelling. You know, really, in my opinion, sales is about storytelling. And as an auctioneer, you have an entire room of people who you have to keep entertained throughout an entire auction, which it sometimes can be half an hour if it's a charity auction. If if it's an art auction, it can be hours and hours. So in order to do that, I do think storytelling is important of it and it's an important part of it. And I think the entire sort of aura of Christie's and of what we're bringing to the table and of the way that things are presented and the the words that are used by the auctioneer and, and even the hand movements and the gavel, and it's all part of a theater piece really. And I think people come up, they come for that. They show up to see that and to be part of that energy. So yes, absolutely. Mm. And you mentioned the idea of having that growth mindset as well um, just now. And I'd be interested to know what advice it is that you have for someone looking to take the leap into becoming an auctioneer. And obviously, don't worry, I have absolutely no ambitions to become an auctioneer anytime soon. But I think it would be interesting just to understand, at least from your perspective, what it takes to become an auctioneer or, or where you could even start? Well, as it pertains to being an auctioneer, I would say for most people, when you are starting the training, it is so incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> it feels very much like being thrown into the deep end and being taught to without any swim lessons and someone yelling swim while you're doing it. Um, it's not, it doesn't come naturally to most people because you're doing so many things. You know, in art auctioneering, you have the increments. You're looking around the room at the telephone bidders and the online bidders. You're trying to keep the absentee bids that have been placed in your book in your mind while you're competing against three, four or five different bidders. So there's so many things to do in that instance. And so when it comes to art auctioneering, I very much believe that it's about sort of quieting your mind and being very much in that moment. Whereas charity auctioneering, you are given a piece of paper with you know one line describing something and then you're told to go out on stage and you know get someone to pay $250,000 for it. So it's actually a completely opposite experience because you are convincing people to buy what they probably don't want to buy. Whereas in art auctioneering, I believe in many cases, you're pushing the bid into some, you're, you're getting someone to bid that additional bid of something that they desperately want. So there are two very different types of auctioneering. And what I say is the most important thing to do when it comes to training an auctioneer or being an auctioneer is to practice, to practice, you know, your increments, to practice public speaking. When you get trained or you become an auctioneer to get out on stage as many times as possible, because what you want to get to the place of, and I think especially in charity auctioneering, what makes you a really talented charity auctioneer is that you walk on stage assuming that things are going to go wrong. And then you're pleasantly surprised if they don't, you know, you should expect that someone will drop a glass. You should know that a phone will likely ring. All of these things just have to be incorporated into what you're doing. And that is what makes you better is when you become completely invincible when it comes to being on stage. Um, you know, in the art world, I think Right now, there's so many ways that you can get into the art world, whether it be you want to be in the back end business side of it. You know, you want to be creating the structure and the deals that are part of the auction process. That's one side of it. You know, the marketing and partnerships and press side is another side where you want to be sort of externally generating things that are going to help amplify the brand. And then I think the last piece of that is the specialist route, which a lot of people assume is kind of the only route to being in the auction world. But it certainly isn't. You know, there's a whole back end engine that makes these things happen. But the specialists are the ones who are the ones who are formally educated in most places. A lot of them have either come from undergraduate degrees or they have MBAs and, and go further and deeper into their serve, into their subject. But any of those ways, any of those things that appeal to you, follow that thread because 
as I said, part of the growth mindset is seeing the white space and moving in. And one thing that I've always found the auction houses are very good at is giving young people who are just starting out an unbelievable amount of responsibility, um, which is simultaneously terrifying, but also very exciting, especially if you step up to the plate. I think that's such a good tip to take on board responsibility and just completely throw yourself in at the deep end. I mean, I've certainly found that the best way to learn is in that way because it forces you to to make decisions that you might be uncomfortable with or, or even to learn a new skill much, much quicker than you'd ever be able to if you were just pursuing kind of a side project, for example. You know, I, I remember when I started the podcast last year and I had absolutely no idea how to edit together sound bites and upload recordings and, you know, upload all the, the final footage to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But by the time I'd brought on board the guests for my first season, I, I kind of gave myself no choice but to learn. But Lydia, look, it's been absolutely lovely chatting with you today. And I'm conscious that you're a very busy woman and I don't want to keep you too long. But before we do say goodbye, I'd love to know what you've got planned next, either at Christie's or, you know, with any forthcoming auctions or, or even with your book. I feel like my what's next always encompasses everything that you just said. <laughs> so, you know, I with Christie's, it's it's part of my it's just part of my life. It's part of the fabric of my life. And, you know, as we come out of this COVID time, I say come out, I'm keeping my fingers crossed as I say that, but, you know, I'm seeing the return to in-person auctions take place. And I live in New York. Most of the auctions take place from January to June. And because of the recent variant of Omicron, everything's been pushed to April and May. So I have, you know, for weeks on end, three to four or five auctions a week for charities around the city um, and actually even around the country taking place. So I'm really excited to get back onto stage and get back in person because we've been doing either virtual or hybrid for so long. It'll be nice to be in those packed ballrooms with people who are overserved, hopefully, and, and raising their hands in exuberance and being out of their homes. You know, I think as it pertains to my book, as I said, I'm, I'm just finished writing my second book and I'm in the process of editing it. And I loved the book tour portion of my first book. It was so much fun to go out there and see people who'd read the book and hear what they took from it. So that's a huge part of what I what I continue to enjoy doing. And, you know, offshoots of that and, and going back to the growth mindset, um, so many things have come as a result of the book. You know, I do a lot of coaching now for executives. I do a lot of master classes on public speaking and sales simply because people were asking time and time again. And I realized at some point when you start ignoring the inbound in your DMs and your LinkedIn of people requesting something from you, you're missing out on another opportunity to not only meet people, but help them um, in their pursuit of a greater job or a greater moment in their own life or career. So that's been incredibly fulfilling as well. So the answer is I will just continue to do everything <laughs> until I don't anymore, but um, all of that. And then hopefully the most important thing obviously is raising good citizens. So trying to be a really present mom to my children at all times and and imbue them with a good work ethic and a, a positive mindset to, to carry them forward in life. Mm, that, that's great to hear. And, and like you say, hopefully we'll continue to see the return of in-person events, auctions and, and everything else, fingers crossed as we start to emerge from the pandemic. But thank you again, Lydia, for taking the time to chat with us today. We really do appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much, James. Now that should just about conclude us for the latest episode of Temporary Admission. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to like, subscribe or follow. And next week, we'll be bringing back our artist spotlights and chatting with a new friend of mine currently completing a large installation in East London. Until then, stay safe. Speak soon.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.